Support for MPB comes from the Mississippi Museum of Art in Jackson. What Became of Dr. Smith by artist Noah Satterstrom is on view now through September 22, 2024. Learn more at msmuseumart.org. Welcome to the Mississippi Arts Hour. I'm Larry Morrissey. I'm your host today. I'm with the Mississippi Arts Commission, and each week at this time we come to you with an in-depth discussion, interview with a creative Mississippian, and that can be an artist, a musician, or someone who helps promote the arts in their community. And uh, we're doing the latter today. We're up at Mississippi State University in the University Library, and I'm joined by Sarah McCullough, who is the Coordinator of Cultural Heritage at the Mississippi State University Libraries. Hey, Sarah. Hello. Thanks for having us up here in the uh, Stennis Montgomery room. With That's right. Lots of history is surrounding us from uh, uh, Senator Stennis and uh, Representative Montgomery. Sonny Montgomery is kind of looking down upon us That's as we right. talk. You're surrounded by a lot of memorabilia today. So uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about all the uh, arts and cultural things that are happening on this campus of Mississippi State and especially kind of here at the library, which seems to be a growing hub of kind of arts and culture programming for the university. It really is. Here at the library, we certainly realize that in educating the complete individual, you really have to focus on cultural heritage as well as academics. It was very rewarding this morning to hear a student say, this library is about more than books. And books certainly are still the cornerstone of the library, as they are with other libraries, but we are really branching out into a lot of other areas. And the library really has a history of that. There are some very interesting collections here, which we will, we will certainly talk about today and also a lot of opportunities for students to really tap into their creativity. Our digital media center has something called Makerspace and students can go to that area of the library and create anything they would like. They're given all sorts of tools to work with, be it scraps of paper and tape and glue and just just build and again just create and sort of have that outlet which is really integral to the learning process. Hmm. So the university library here it does the normal thing that that university libraries do you right. have you have your collections you have your uh, computer classes you have right. th- uh, that kind of stuff but talk about how this place became such a an active uh, presenter really and, and a museum space for the museum for the for the university excuse me part of that really goes back to some of the university's alumni there's the templeton music museum here on the third floor of the library that was the collection of charles templeton an msu graduate and startful businessman who years ago started collecting sheet music And his interest was in how music really evolved into a business. He bought old Victrolas, any old type of um, recording device. And there's even a statue of Nipper, the old RCA dog, which those who may still be into vinyls or collecting vinyl records have certainly seen the dog listening to the gramophone, his master's voice. So it really tells the story of how music evolved into a business that is open for tours. There's a tremendous festival built around that. 
So that collection really sort of spearheaded the presence of museums here in the library. Another notable MSU graduate, and perhaps our most famous, is John Grisham, who continues to generously donate his papers to the library. He has also donated a considerable amount of memorabilia, and that is housed in the Grisham Room, which is next to the Templeton Museum on the third floor of the library. And uh, kind of an outgrowth of the, the Templeton Museum, I guess, and as a way to promote that it's, you know, that it's it's here and, and its collections was this uh, ragtime and jazz festival that the uh, library's been doing, I'm going to say about 10 years? Right, or? It's this year will be the 12th year. Okay, very good. Right. I wasn't too far off. Right. So then and that's coming up, that's going to be uh, next weekend, it's March 22nd through 24th, and it is here in the library, correct? Most events are held okay. here in the library. Um, it, others, there's a large concert on Sunday, um, excuse me, on Saturday evening at the McComas Theater here on campus just across the street from the library. But it is very much focused here on the campus. So talk a little bit about what, what, the, what the festival's about, what's the, what's the focus, and, and, and a little bit what's coming up this year. The focus began really on ragtime since that is really the origin of the Templeton music collection. It has since grown into other genres of music, largely those that developed around the same time as ragtime. A lot of jazz is now included in the festival. This coming year, we will also have blues as a focus. Steve Cheeseborough, who is a blues historian and noted musician, will be performing this year. So it's continued to evolve not just into other genres of music, but into other things that were happening during that period in American culture. There's a program on Thursday night, which kicks the festival off each year, called the Gatsby Gala, where our students, who are designers, designed, design costumes based on 1920s designs. So it's really starting to grow and look at other aspects of American culture in that period. Ragtime as a, um, as a music is, is, is pretty much a, a historical thing now. But mm-hmm. the, I guess the interesting thing, there is um, kind of a national scene of performers and enthusiasts. So that kind exactly. of, you kind of tap into that kind of national network for this as well. We really do. Jeff Barnhart is a wonderful pianist. He's artistic director of the festival and just one of those just fun ragtime players. You know, there's something about listening to ragtime that just sort of, you can't be depressed when you're listening to ragtime played on the piano. And Jeff is one of those people who just makes it a tremendous amount of fun. And he's here every year and has become really a, a big part of the festival, and we're fortunate to have him. Great. Uh, for those of you just joining us, this is the Mississippi Arts Hour, and today I'm talking with Sarah McCullough. She's the Coordinator of Cultural Heritage uh, for uh, the Mississippi State University Library, and we're talking about the activities and, and arts and cultural things coming out of Mississippi State University Library, but also kind of branching out into the university as well. Um, well, well, let's uh, let's move over to to the Grisham Room. That's probably the other, besides the music museum, the other kind of highest profile p- space right. in, in the library in terms of arts and culture. D- do you know a little about the history of how that came about? Or 
John Grisham is a graduate of MSU and has been very generous with the university. He donated his papers and continues to donate his papers. Certainly he is a writer who is very much still active. He has also donated some of his memorabilia and it's interesting to see some of the photographs from his early book signings. A lot of those which of course took place here in Mississippi and just things that were important to him throughout his life and all of those are on view in the Grisham room. What are some highlights in terms of like artifacts or things that that a Grisham fan especially might be interested in? It's always interesting to see the books that have been translated into foreign languages. And it's particularly interesting to see students come through and they always try to guess, you know, in which which language um, a book is written. And he's also done a lot of philanthropy work. And there are some things in the collection that represent that, which is interesting to see that part of his life and that he is a very generous individual. I, I noted this morning, too, that there's a, a program called the Grisham Master Teacher Program here as well, I guess, that anyway, it, it looks like it, it helps uh, kind of recognize uh, longtime faculty who mm-hmm. kind of reach a mm-hmm. higher status. So that was interesting mm-hmm. to see his, his um, support right. of that as well. We don't, I want to leave out um, Myrna Kali Lee's presence here. She, of course, She's uh, been a longtime supporter of the arts. Uh, she lives in Charleston, Mississippi. She's a costume designer and really works internationally, uh, works with, with theater groups throughout the United States, but also in Europe, and has had a lifetime of work in that. And uh, there is a collection of her work here as well. Correct. And we are very fortunate to have that collection here. And she is represented in the Grisham Room as well. She has her own space there in the Grisham room. She has donated her costume collection, which consists of literally thousands of costumes. The library is in the, in the process of developing a system that would permit theater companies, predominantly community theaters throughout the South, to use those costumes in their performances, which is a wonderful opportunity for them. And that's something that was very important to her, that these costumes not just sit Mm. in a library. And it also fits in well with our mission of outreach, that we certainly make whatever is here in the library to the degree possible available to the public. So it's wonderful to know that that small community theater somewhere in Mississippi or Alabama or beyond can actually have access to costumes that were designed by Myrna Colley Lee. As you said, she's a renowned costume designer. She's done work for the Steppenwolf Theater Company in Chicago, among many others. Yeah, and I imagine just the historical costumes, contemporary costumes, you know, the Roman right. greats, the Shakespeare, I'm sure that just kind of goes across a the, vast collection. Yeah. Right. So could, could anybody, you know, all these different groups could use it. And we have lots of community theaters throughout this state. We do. Absolutely. We're back on the Arts Hour, and uh, today our guest is Sarah McCullough. She is the Coordinator of Cultural Heritage at Mississippi State University's Libraries, and she's involved in all kinds of arts and cultural and historical activities taking place here at the university. And we thank uh, the University Library for letting us come in and set up today and do some interviews. 
So Sarah, you had a long tenure at the, uh, Visit Mississippi, the tourism department of Mississippi, right. and you were involved in a number of projects there that kind of led to your position here. Talk a little bit about some of the things you were involved in at the state level. Well, sort of as indicative of Mississippi's vast cultural heritage, it entailed everything from literary to culinary to civil war to civil rights. I worked on the Mississippi Freedom Trail, which was a fascinating process. That is the state civil rights trail for anyone not familiar with it, and learned a lot about our civil rights history and really how many stories were not told, which now thanks to the trail and to the Civil Rights Museum we now have, a lot of those stories are being told. Also the Civil War sesquicentennial and I always thought it interesting that probably the two most pivotal periods of American history were the Civil War and the Civil Rights Movement of the mid-20th century. And Mississippi was sort of at the forefront of both of those periods of history. Also, of course, our culinary heritage. We could talk on and on about that. And our literary heritage. I think those of us who grew up in Mississippi and grew up with Faulkner and Williams and Welty just sort of thought of them as Mississippi writers. And sometimes as Mississippians, we lose sight of the fact that they were writers who really had a global impact. Absolutely. We we, we just see them as, you know, you go by uh, Eudora Welty's house in Jackson, but and, and a lot of people knew her, so they just right. saw there's Miss Welty down the street, but, you know, there are people now that they have that museum there's Japanese visitors every you know probably every year people that study her work for all over the world so which is amazing yeah Mm -hmm. so the position that you have now is is a brand new position that was created and then that you are the first person in so talk about what they so they said all right Sarah you're going to come to the university this is this is your portfolio this is your scope of work talk about what what that is and how it's kind of developed since you've been here. Well, it is very broad, again, Mm -hmm. as is Mississippi's cultural heritage, which I always say is a very good problem to have. We don't have to worry about, you know, finding cultural heritage to promote because we just have have such a wealth of it in such a diverse range. One project is the Southern Literary Trail. The trail was founded a little over 10 years ago by William Gant, who is from Birmingham, Alabama, originally from Demopolis. And so he grew up with the Lillian Hellman heritage there in Demopolis. And that came up sort of with the concept of a way to celebrate the noted Southern fiction writers of the 20th century. The trail covers Georgia, Alabama, and Mississippi. It is now based here at MSU Libraries. It had the good problem of outgrowing being run by volunteers and really needed some administrative support. So MSU Libraries stepped up to the plate a couple of years ago and said they would be willing to handle the website and other aspects of social media. And now that work has really grown into doing some outreach for the Southern Literary Trail. And it's a fascinating group to work with because you you realize that our writers, many of them all knew each other. You know, you think of Carson McCullers and Tennessee Williams mm-hmm. being friends. And there's there are a lot of 
um, links among the writers. A lot of them really do not have homes that are still standing, so I think that makes it all the more important to focus on the written word and the legacy that they left behind in their work, as well as the preservation of those sites that do remain. So the literary trail, so if somebody, you know, which is a lot, people come to the South and they want, I want to see all these writers' homes. How does the Southern Literary Trail kind of connect people to to these places and, and, and where are these writers are there from? There is a website, southernliterarytrail.org, and anyone can go to that site and get a little bit of background information on any of the writers. There are 27 writers included on the trail. They can find out what events are going on, be it a literary reading or a literary festival in the state or the community in which they are interested. If there is a site still standing related to that writer, they can certainly get information on that. And does the organization have any kind of programming or what, what, what other, beyond the website, are there, what are some other efforts that, that y'all are doing? We are working now on a couple of exhibits that will probably be announced in late 2018 and early 2019. And the trail has now reached the point where it is in a position to really sponsor exhibits on its own. It has done that in the past with one exhibit on the Scottsboro Boys. One of the Alabama writers on the trail, William Bradford Huey, was a noted civil rights writer, and he was from northern Alabama, not far from Scottsboro, so that exhibit tied in with his heritage. But the trail is looking now at doing more programming, and MSU Libraries, through the Southern Literary Trail, has developed a partnership with Tuskegee. Of course, both universities are um, very rich in agricultural heritage. We had their university archivist, Dana Chandler, come from Tuskegee and do a presentation here at the library as well as at Coatsworth Culture and Heritage Center on George Washington Carver. So a lot of new programming is coming out of that relationship. Uh, for those of you just joining us, this is the Arts Hour, and we're talking with Sarah McCullough. She's the Coordinator of Cultural Heritage at Mississippi State University Library. Now, in terms of the Southern Literary Trail, I, I, I don't want you to, I'm not going to quiz you on every, every one of them, but what are some of the highlights of the Mississippi writers who are included in the trail? Of course, Faulkner is included, not just Roanoke, but also New Albany, which was his birthplace. The Union County Heritage Museum does a lot of interesting yeah, programming. Wonderful small museum. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. They do a great job there. They have the Literary Garden there and actually tour groups from Australia have come there you know which is again I think a way we Mississippians sort of lose sight of really what we have in the state and how it's of great interest to people around the world. Oxford again of course Roanoke related to Faulkner. Como Mississippi because of Stark Young. Stark Young okay yeah. A novelist um, early 20th century His Civil War-era novel, So Red the Rose, was sort of considered the Civil War novel, and then Gone with the Wind came along. Borden Deal, who was tied to both Pontotoc and New Albany, and wrote a lot about the Depression-era and New Deal period. Of course, Greenville, noted for Walker Percy, 
even though born in Birmingham, he certainly spent his formative years in Greenville. Right. Shelby Foote, of course, in Greenville. While we associate him with the Civil War series, he was also a fiction writer. Published short stories in the Saturday Evening Post, as well as later novels such as Shiloh. Mm-hmm. Of course, Eudora Welty in her home in Jackson, which also has great programming. Margaret Walker in the Margaret Walker Center at Jackson State University, very active in programming. Richard Wright for Smith Robertson Museum in Jackson is where he spent his childhood. And Tennessee Williams from just a few miles away in Columbus. Well, and the people in Clarksdale will fight you about Clarksdale, that, too. Clarksdale, exactly. <laughs> There's a little bit of a low-wage war <laughs> on who, who owns. Of course, my home uh, town of, ten, of St. Louis claims Tennessee claims Williams as well. Exactly, so, and so. they have a new festival. Right. Yeah, so, so um, many wonderful Tennessee Williams festivals, but, of course, the two in Mississippi are those where, where he had the strongest ties as you said, Clarksdale and Columbus. And Columbus, absolutely. Uh, the other place, the other interesting when looking at your kind of the um, list of things that the, the, the library's been involved with is mm-hmm. is your connection to the historic home Coatsworth in Carroll County, right? Exactly. And now, now I hope I'm going to say this right. Uh, Coatsworth, of course, is this famous historic home, but wasn't it, uh, didn't they use it in the help? They did. The movie? Okay, good. It was used in the help. It was also used by James Franco to film The Sound and the Fury just a couple of years after the help. So it's gotten a lot of attention it's as gotten, a film yeah. location. It, and it is a, a pretty stunning kind of like, uh, do you know some of the history or it's a little amazing. bit about it? It was built as a stagecoach inn in the mid-1800s was acquired by Jay-Z George, who was an attorney and politician, and he expanded the property. It includes this wonderful hexagonal library, which is an outbuilding removed from the house, probably because Jay-Z George had a lot of children and was probably ready to get away from them at times to read. And as you said, the setting is just stunning. Last year, MSU Libraries and the MSU Division of Agriculture, Forestry, and Veterinary Medicine partnered with Coatsworth to create the Mississippi Land and Literature Series. And the reasoning behind that was that so much of our cultural heritage really stems from our agrarian roots. Certainly the blues did, as well as much of our writing. And also we wanted to take some cultural heritage programs to a rural area. Certainly not everyone can come to a university campus and due to time restrictions, parking, whatever the issue may be. So we thought we would really reach out and that's part of the university's mission is outreach. It was an official bicentennial event and we are grateful to Mississippi Humanities Council and Mississippi Development Authority for having received funding for that series during the bicentennial year. The first program commemorated William Raspberry, which some may not be familiar with him, but he's an African-American political columnist from Okalona. He was with the Washington Post for years and was a Pulitzer Prize winner. So Neely Tucker, who is from Starkville, recently retired from the Washington Post, did a wonderful program on William Raspberry. 
We also had a program on women in agriculture. The book Trials of the Earth, the autobiography of Mary Mann Hamilton and her years in the Mississippi Delta in the late 18, early 1900s has gotten a lot of attention in recent years. So Kayla Taub, who is a woman farmer from Eupora, who has been recognized for her support of agricultural initiatives, did a reading from Trials of the Earth. And then we were fortunate to have former U.S. Secretary of Agriculture Mike Espy do a presentation on his experiences both in the United States and globally, since he's still very active in various agricultural development initiatives. Then William Waller, Jr., Chief Justice of the Mississippi Supreme Court, did a program on the legal and judiciary history of Mississippi. So it really covered a broad range of topics. And these were all at Coatsworth. These were all at Coatsworth. And Coatsworth is not like in the middle of town. It's 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 out from Carrollton, right? Right. It's, it's actually a, in North Carrollton. North. Excuse yes. me. Yes. <laughs> Forget the, the, the break there. Yes. So um, it's out. It's a little bit out from it town, is, though, right? It yeah. is. And we had very good attendance at these programs. We had people come in, of course, from the three closest communities of Carrollton, Winona, and Greenwood. But also we had some people come from from Oxford, from Grenada, and all around the region. That's great. It's interesting, that little spot there, the Greenwood, Winona, Carrollton, they, it's, it's like this cross of hill country delta and exactly but those communities are very closely connected they are very close and i always love on highway 82 when you go from winona to greenwood and you go down that hill and there's the delta so as you said it's right on the edge of both the hills and the delta a very interesting location absolutely we're back for our final segment on the arts hour today and today our guest is sarah mccullough she's the coordinator of cultural heritage at the mississippi state University Library. And probably the highest profile thing that's going on at the library right now that we haven't touched on yet is the Grant Library and Museum here. That the Grant Library's been here for a while, but the museum is a new isn't just just kind of open thing. That's right. The US Grant Association and the collection of grant materials which is extensive moved here from Southern Illinois University about 10 years ago and was housed in in a space on the first floor of the library. The library completed a new addition, which is a beautiful facility to house the U.S. Grant Presidential Library and Museum. That is now on the fourth floor of the library, along with the Frank and Virginia Williams collection of Lincolniana, which was the largest privately held collection of Lincoln memorabilia in the country. Frank Williams was Chief Justice of the Rhode Island Supreme Court. He and his wife, Virginia, amassed this collection over a period of years. Chief Justice Williams actually started as a young boy collecting Lincoln memorabilia. Through his work with the U.S. Grant Association, He became familiar with Mississippi State University, and he and his wife very generously donated that collection last year. So the addition on the fourth floor of the library has both of those collections, the Lincoln and the Grant collections. 
what are some kind of highlights of the of the exhibits uh, about Grant? That what are some things that people could uh, highlights to see when they come? I think it's interesting to I think see that Grant was more than just a president and a general. Of course, we think of him perhaps even more for his military role than even his role as president. He was also an artist. He loved to draw. He loved to paint. There's a copy of one of his paintings in the collection. And I think it's very interesting to see that side of a man not known really for his artistic endeavors. He was also a very good writer, which the scholars here who are associated with the Grant Collection, John Marzalek, David Nolan, and Louis Gallo, last year completed an annotated version of Grant's memoirs that was published by Harvard University Press. And many historians who have read those memoirs say that Grant was an absolutely brilliant writer. I think they say he's one of the best writers. And that, he was, yeah. absolutely. Uh, yeah. The interesting thing I read recently is that, or heard about that was that, you know, he was kind of in bad financial shape. And, and that's kind of what kind of propelled him to make these memoirs is that he needed the money. And he was not well, but wrote these things and then... You're exactly right. right. But then they ended up being this, probably the most, you know, compelling book written by a U.S. president Exactly. And the fact that they have been published again, and as you said, there's this renewed interest in Grant. Mm -hmm. Part of that due to the publication of the annotated memoirs, and of course, Ron Chernow just wrote that wonderful biography, and he spent a lot of time here doing research. He was here for the opening of the library. Of course, a lot of people know Ron Chernow as the writer of the biography of Alexander Hamilton on which the musical Hamilton is based. And he actually wrapped from Hamilton. So um, really a sight to see, it was delightful. Maybe you could get a student on that, getting the the, uh, the Grant version of Hamilton Maybe out so. on the road. That would help out. <laughs> Help out the Grant uh, Library, but <laughs> but it sounds like you're you're getting some strong visitation for the extremely for the, strong. Yeah. It was hard to know how many people would be at the opening. It was a Thursday afternoon. We thought maybe two hundred, five to six hundred were here. We had to stream it in two different locations in the library for those who were not able to to fit in the atrium for the actual ceremony. Since the opening in the roughly three months, three months, yeah. Since then, there have been close to 2,000 visitors. And I guess there is a, like ragtime, there are ragtime enthusiasts, there are presidential and U.S. Grant, Ulysses yes. Grant enthusiasts. Yes. So it, what are those folks like? <laughs> I mean, you know, they run the gamut. There are those who probably know how many cigars Grant smoked today to those who have a passing interest in either presidential history or Civil War history. So, you know, it just a very broad range. And it's interesting to have those people on campus. And of course, they while they're here, they get to see a university in Mississippi and sort of see college life. We're talking today on the Arts Hour with Sarah McCullough. She's the coordinator of cultural heritage for Mississippi State University Library. Another program that you had recently was uh, related to the centennial of World War One, which I don't know if 
you know, there's not many people remember, you know, or back from right. that, but, but this was an important milestone in U.S. history. Right. 2017 marked the centennial of America's entry into World War One, and in history, World War One has become a bit overshadowed. You know, it was sandwiched between the Civil War and World War Two. So in developing this series of programs, we focused really on different aspects of cultural heritage that would help tell the story of America's role in World War I. For example, we had students who were also veterans read manuscripts from our special collections, journals and letters that were written by Mississippi soldiers during World War I. And it was interesting to hear veterans of Afghanistan or Iraq, you know, read those letters and talk about how they had such similar experiences, yet the style of writing and certainly the means of communication have changed drastically since then. We also had a program that focused around in Flanders Field, a reading of that poem and which sort of showed the role that literature often plays in recording history and that poetry actually tells history. We had a horticulturalist speak on the the symbol of the poppy and how due to the poem in Flanders Field, the poppy came to be a symbol of remembrance for those lost in war. We also had a program featuring the Choctaw Code Talkers. Most of us are familiar with the role of the Navajos in World War II, but the Choctaws were actually code talkers in World War I. And we screened a documentary called The Choctaw Code Talkers, which told that fascinating story. We were fortunate to have representatives of the Mississippi Band of Choctaw Indians attend and speak and talk about their heritage as well as their artists artistry you know their baskets are known throughout the country they do phenomenal crafts so it sort of crossed over from just telling the role of history through perhaps a lecture to individuals who were involved and how their cultural heritage has continued through the years yeah, finding that personal connection. Right. It. Yeah. Yes. It's, it's kind of hard to have somebody get up there and talk about troop movements or something. Exactly. Maintain it. Right. <laughs> Although there are th- enthusiasts for that. There, I'm there sure. are, but these yeah. programs were more about putting a human face on, on World War One. Yeah. yeah. Now I know you're you're kept very busy here at the at the at the state li- university Mississippi State University <laughs> Library. Excuse me. But, you know, this larger community of Starkville and Octibaha County has a very strong artistic cultural heritage of its own. And I'm just curious about some of the maybe some of the things that within town that you want to draw attention to that people may not know about. Well, we discussed Myrna Colley Lee earlier and her her role as a costume designer and the great influence that she is having on community theaters throughout the South with her costumes soon being available to small community theaters. Startville has a wonderful community theater. They've won awards from the Mississippi Theater Association as well as the Southeastern Theater Conference. And 
Actually, a startful playwright, Chris Lee, has also been recognized by the Southeast Theater Conference. One of his productions has um, gained a lot of attention, so it's great to see the theater community in Startful thriving. And of course, the Magnolia Independent Film Festival is held here every spring, as is the Cotton District Arts Festival which includes a juried art show, a writer's village, and of course, great food. So sort of every aspect of Mississippi's cultural heritage is represented there. Yeah, and kind of a big outdoor welcome to spring right. kind of event for the, for the community and for the artists, and, and the arts are put kind of as the calling card for that. Mm-hmm. In the historic Cotton District. So Absolutely. a wonderful setting as well. Absolutely. Well, so you've got so much stuff coming up. Let's, maybe you could do a rundown kind of for everybody, starting with the the Ragtime Festival, which is coming up on the 22nd through the 24th. Right. Well, Ragtime, as you mentioned, is really great for anyone who has an interest in music or the 1920s, the Gadsby era, the Jazz Age silent movies, a fashion show, really something for everyone. There are people who have been coming for years from all parts of the country, and that's sort of what you want. You want people to get people to Mississippi and see what all we have here, and to see the extraordinary Templeton Museum. The Cotton District Arts Festival is just a lot of fun. Big outdoor festival where you can see artwork, listen to music, eat good food, the Grant Library and Lincoln Collection really should be seen by everyone. The fact that those collections are in Mississippi is amazing. It's, it's something totally unexpected here. So all Mississippians should really come see that. After they get done with the two museums, this is one of the many right. off-sites that they can right. come to and expand their knowledge of things. And Coatsworth, we will be having future programs at Coatsworth as well. Great. That would be a very unique experience for anybody to get out there and just to see the space. It is. And not see the right. If anything, to see, the, to see the property and then to hear a program in that setting. Yeah. Well, for people that are interested in learning more about everything we've been talking about with the libraries, tell us where they can head online. The library's main website is lib dot m-s-s-t-a-t-e dot e-d-u so l-i-b dot misstate dot e-d-u and events are always posted in complete information on how to attend and schedules and that sort of thing great Sarah, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate it. No, it's a pleasure to have you here yeah, at MSU thank you. Library. Thank you for, and for you're welcome us. here anytime. Excellent.